Welcome to the Christmas Day edition of Faith with Haith. It's Christmas Day 2021. And these podcasts generally go out on a Saturday and Christmas Day this year is a Saturday. Hence, the Christmas special is on a Saturday. You couldn't plan for it, but here we are. And I don't know what kind of a year you've had. I don't know what kind of a day you're having. I'm hoping that someone might actually listen to this on Christmas Day, although you're probably busy opening presents. But I've got a special present for you today. Our guest today is none other than star of the rugby pitch and the TV. Welcome, Ugo Monnier. <laughs> it's very generous. How are you doing, mate? You why, are... why are you laughing? Merry Christmas. <laughs> I, I just always find it funny whenever I'm introduced. Um, <laughs> just because, yeah, I, I guess people are just nice and pleasant and, yeah, it just oh. makes me chuckle. Oh, we can do something about that. No, 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 no. Don't, don't think <laughs> the rest of this is going to be nice and pleasant. Okay, oh, gosh. Right, when we got on this call, uh, the first thing you did was pull out your very posh BBC Radio 5 Live microphone <laughs> and made me feel so small at that point. You do sound great. It's a very nice microphone, that. How often are you doing recordings from home these days? Really often. So before we started this record, I actually shot a TV show or an episode of a TV show from home. Um, I guess everyone just had to learn and adapt. So I shoot a lot from home remotely. And, And it's great. I kind of think I got used to it. And that's almost sad in itself. Like I think in the job that I do, I have so much variety and I love people. I I love people. I love meeting with people and with the restrictions that wasn't possible. And I didn't like the fact, although it kept me afloat and I was able to work and stuff, which was great. I just didn't want to get used to the environment whereby you're shooting, whether it's podcasts, radio series, TV shows, and you're doing it from a safe distance when half of it is the energy that you create when you're in the room together. That's so true, isn't it? Because we've become the sort of Zoom generation, so Mm. much working from home. Uh, Is it working at home or working from home? I keep getting texts from different (laughs) people. It's WFH and what's that? What's that? But it's, it's not the same, is it, as being in the room and just having uh, just back and forth conversation rather than sort of raising your hand and saying, I'd like to say something now. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And and for me, I've got two young girls, Phoenix and Ruby, four and a half and one and a half. And when I was at home, the one thing I was, was, which was, I guess, which overlapped my working life was I was so accessible. And so I remember there being, I was shooting, um, shooting a program last summer. And the kids were just going berserk in the background. And um, Lucy, their mother, just knocks on the window and just says, um, can you just... And I'm like, I would never have someone knock on my window <laughs> in my office at work. But, you know, that's where, like, your family life and your work life collided and you had to make the most of it. If I was Lucy, if I was in Lucy's role and I saw her through the window working because they're at arm's length or that they're just there, I would also knock on the window. So, yeah, but then I guess in the first couple of weeks, everyone was a bit like, oh, oh hang on. But then you realize people are working from homes and, and their ha- their home lives become part of your working life. So when your toddler, I mean, Phoenix came onto 
so I'd do a podcast of the BBC called Rugby in a Weekly. And Phoenix just walked into my office and went, Daddy, uh, I've just done a poo. No, was we, like, no. Oh. Was yeah. that live? Yeah, but it was live. But it was also, <laughs> hila- but it was also hilarious. It was hilarious. So good. So like you kind of, at the start of it, you're totally sanitizing. No, this is my workplace. But when you've got two kids at home and you can't get away, and not everyone has, by the way, office space. So you downstairs toilet became your office space or the or, or, or whatever it was that people had to manufacture just to work and work in a kind of relatively quiet environment. You you have to adapt and allow those things to happen. So, yeah, the first couple of weeks you get frustrated and after it you're like, oh, actually, Phoenix, have a go on this mic, stick these headphones on, tell the nation your thoughts on the state of rugby today. And she would have a clue, but it was it was funny because everyone's having that same lived experience. So we've got no agenda with our Christmas conversation. Um, cool. uh, actually, I do need to ask you, have you wrapped Phoenix and Ruby's presents yet? No, no. Oh, they're, mate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're recording this two days before Christmas. I've done all yeah. mine. I've done all mine. Mate, that, that's really good. So I'm going back to see the girls Christmas Eve. I have got, I mean, we'll, we'll get a DHL lorry <laughs> to help me with all their gifts. Other delivery and companies the, are available. Yes, very true. <laughs> but they're the best, okay? Um, and, <laughs> are you offer a sponsorship gonna... deal? I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and get a sponsorship deal on this podcast. So you're, you are, um, you're a media personality now. Um, let, let's, in a second, we'll go into the rugby. But um, no, let's get into the rugby now. There's, uh, you, your career, you, you basically were at the top of the rugby union ladder. You played 200 and, 241 times for, for Quinns, for Harlequins. You played yep. 14 times for England. You played twice for the for the Lions, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Um, you know, I look back and I'm I'm so grateful for everything I was able to do. To become a professional rugby player was a dream in itself, but I mm. think when you're in, in elite sport, um, the quest for success almost becomes insatiable. And I think you only realise that when, when you retire and look back. So all I want to do is be a professional rugby player, then I get a professional contract. Mm. All you want to do is play one game for Quinns. And then you do that and you're like, oh, actually, you get the bug. I want to do it 10 times, 50 times. Oh, I've done it 100 times. I want to play for England. Oh, that was great. I want to do it again. Right, I want to play for Lions. Okay, you do that. What next? It's always what's next. And you never really give yourself a chance to sit back, reflect, which in many ways is good because you don't want to take stock whilst you're still playing. Um and whatever you did last Saturday really doesn't count for what you're about to do. And I quite like that. You know, the meter hits zero once again. You reset yeah. it every single yeah. week. But I do look back now. Now I'm removed from the game. I'm six years retired. And I'm really proud. But also, I think there's a lot more I could have done. Uh, there's a lot more I could have done. But I don't want to spend the next part of my life lamenting and looking back on the first part of my life. Like, I love it. It's great um, to a certain extent. Like during the first lockdown, they had replays of old matches playing <laughs> for Lions in England. And I was like, oh, Phoenix, here we go. Sit on daddy's knee and we're going to watch this. And I I'm she was fascinated, indulge. wasn't she? <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just going to indulge. And she wasn't bothered after five <laughs> minutes. 
just not bothered. But then why should she be bothered about the player that I was? Well, actually, the only thing I really value in her is that she thinks her daddy's a good daddy. Yeah. Um, her, you know, if she's off at school going, oh, do you know what? My daddy, some rugby player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's kind of cool, but I just wanted to be proud of her dad. And that's actually the most important job yeah, um, I have and will ever have. And so regardless of anything, and that was quite a humbling moment because the kids, gosh, they cut you deeper than anything, but they also make you feel like the best and the greatest um, just through their like simple action. So I do look at my career really, really fondly, um, but I'm actually, I've kind of got a mindset of just looking ahead and looking forward and really excited for the things I'm doing now and things that I don't, the, the absolute unknown and what I could potentially do as well. Let me pick up on that. What you said about there, there always being the the next thing. Hundred playing for fifty, playing for Queens, playing for a hundred. You know, then playing for England. You want to play for the Lions. That sense of um, endless dissatisfaction. That's not. That's not just in sport, is it? I think is obviously this podcast is called Faith with Hate. You can feel where I'm going with this. There's that. Mm. Is it? It's the human condition, isn't it? That says yeah. enough is never enough. You know, this is, I, I want more. Um, I want more fame. I want more money. I want more power. I want more experiences. I want more fun. I want, I, why, why do we have such an insatiable desire? Do you think for, for more? Well, it's certainly heightened by social media. Yeah. Um, social media, has been exploited or perhaps not been exploited. Perhaps it was the very reason um, why it was created in the first place, but it was created to connect people. So I can instantly chat to a friend, a relative in Nigeria, a mate of mine in New Zealand in an instant and be connected to my old schoolmates and grow your social circle. It was brilliant. And I remember having a, a weird moment where I found out that I think Michael Jackson has died through a friend of mine who had retweeted it via Lindsay Lohan. That that's that's what social media was. Whilst I was at a nightclub in South Africa, like what? <laughs> um, so yeah, that kind of was it six or seven degree separation has brought that even closer. Yeah, but where we are now is that everyone puts up their highlight reels of their day-to-day interactions, their life. Like everyone's life on social media is pretty good, if not very good. And now we live in this comparative world. And so even if you have a good life, good job, good relationship, you're forever looking over that social media fence at what that next person has. And it's true what they say, you know, comparison is the thief of all joy. You could be happy in your job. You could, this Christmas, you could be happy with the presents you got but then look at the post of your friend, your schoolmate, whoever it might be, and certainly feel instantly feel unhappy with what you've got because you compared it to what someone else has. And so it's, I think there's a real there's a real need for people to be satisfied in who they are as as a as a person, um, where they're at within their life. Um, and not everyone is just happy individually within themselves, but I think there needs to be a greater focus on yourself than actually focus and a look at whatever everyone else has and unfortunately people now comparing themselves to people um to things objects and people a they don't know but feel they know mm. because mm. social media allows you to do that and massively on op- 
unobtainable, whatever it might be, figures, holidays, houses, cars, jewellery. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's kind of where we are right now. But I think if you realise what social media is, um, this filtered, um, beautiful effect on people's lives, and you don't get sucked in and trapped by it, then it might give a little bit of peace in your own. You seem to have your head screwed on, my friend, and it's uh, mm, it wobbles. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine one of those wobbly heads in the car with a have you go Monier on your on your dashboard. That'd be great. That's it. Do you miss the sport? I mean, you you were doing sport yeah. all the way through school. Um, yeah. You were running eleven seconds, hundred meters at the age of eighteen. You were you were very good at football as well. Yeah, I, I I was born in Islington. Um, so, I love, oh, I love yeah, I know where this yeah. is going. This is an Arsenal yeah. fan, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to play football. Um wanted to play for Arsenal. That's what I wanted to do. And then went to a posh school and they didn't play um, football, so I ended up playing rugby. And it's interesting as a kid, why did I take up rugby? One, I wanted to fit in and make friends. Um and then it, then it, that kind of morphed into something else. Monday morning assemblies, if the Lord's Wandsworth under 15, 18 won, and you got a mention in the Monday assembly, you felt good. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're encouraged, your back is patted and you have some sense of accomplishment and recognition, you probably end up sticking at things. I did love the sport. I grew to love it, but I needed to be encouraged to love the sport because it was alien to me. So, yeah, I played lots of different sports and I thought it was really important. You know, I did athletics, did football, played rugby, played cricket, uh, had a go at hockey, swimming. Honestly, I did everything, basketball. Were you any Um, good at cricket? Yeah, I was was okay. I love that. Yeah, I I went, yeah, I went, yeah, straight away, didn't I? No, just be be absolutely straight here. Could you have played professional cricket? I don't think so. Could you have played professional football? Um, No, I'm going to say no. Yeah, you're you're an all-rounder. No, no, I mean, I, 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 I love a kickabout now. I absolutely love a kickabout now. Um, oh, no, I don't. I, I wouldn't have put it this way. I think I ended up succeeding at the sport where I could have reached the very top of that sport. And I don't think I could have in cricket, football, athletics, um, rhythmic gymnastics. Yeah, I, I, yes, definitely not. None of those things. But I do look back at rugby and I get asked it a lot. Do you miss the Do I miss playing? Is the first question. And yeah. the answer is no, absolutely not. Oh, absolutely oh that's surprising. Not. Do you not? Mm. Why? Why? Um, I played for 14 years and I commentate on it now. And I wince when I'm in commentary. And I find it hard to believe that I played that sport because it's so physical. It is, um, isn't it? At, at that level. It's just moved on. It's just, it's just moved on. It's so physical. And yeah. I don't know, I think when you're so passionate about something, unless you could do it to the best of your ability at the highest level, that's for me, then I don't want to do it. Um, 
I, I didn't want to do it. You know, I got offered another two years to stand at Harlequins and I turned it down for lots of different reasons, other opportunities, moving on. Um, but part of the decision-making was, could I be the player that I, I, I had been and wanted to be to be able to contribute as frequently as what's needed to be at the very top? And the answer was no. So it was like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, but you must it. miss, you must miss that very physicality. Oh, obviously the camaraderie of being part of a, oh, of a unit. That's the and... number one thing I missed is the changing room, Jamie. Mm. I miss being in the change room. It's it's funny when I look back and um, people are like, oh, your favorite moments and stand up moments. And I've got some great moments on the pitch, blessed, grateful, privileged, but um, I met up actually with the old Harlequins boys uh, a few weeks ago. We had a bit of a very early Christmas shindig and none of us are talking about, oh, do you remember that time when we picked up the European title? Or do you remember that time when we won the Premiership? No, we're talking about, do you remember driving back from Manchester on the back of the bus, having beers? <laughs> like it's that, it's yeah. uh, regardless of what sport you're in or whatever your industry is, as 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 blokes i'm going to generalize we're still little kids yeah. and so all we talk about are those what i consider like magic moments when we won the premiership won the very first premiership in the club's history and that day the culmination of those lifting the premiership title and people would automatically think that was the best day that that was the best moment that day the best moment that day for me was after we lifted the trophy and walked back into the change room and shut the door away from everyone and sang songs, drank beers with absolutely everyone that contributed to that success. So that good. was it. I loved so it. Good. Like transport me back into that moment now. Mm, mm. I take it an instant. Mm. The game, ugh, the game's the game, you know, and I'm happy. I get so much pleasure out of watching young, talented kids fulfill their potential 100%. And where I can, and I've mentored, I still do, um, players who are in the game, because I want to see them succeed and also not make mistakes that I made in my career. I want to, it's all about them, not me. If I was still attached and thinking I could do it, or in mm. fact, I played in a England Ireland Legends match six months after I retired. You're a legend. I love that. Oh, no. I mean, it's, it's how, no, it's how they titled the match, <laughs> I guess, for publicity or whatever, but not because that's who I am. Um, but I scored a hat-trick. And I was nice. like, oh, I think I've still got it. But then you look at the team sheet and the players, I mean, there was lads in their 50s <laughs> who'd like been smoking for the last 17 years since they retired. And it was like, actually, calm down, mate. <laughs> you know, I think, I think the premiership of the international circuit's a bit hard than the game you just played it, which was effectively an exhibition match and most people hung over playing it. So I don't know. I love watching, supporting and actually trying to make the pathways into the game as broad and as wide as possible to capture as many people. Because for me, rugby was my life. It still is my life to a large degree. But the impact it's had on me as a person, as a character, as a human being, far outweighs any of the success. So I want people to come into the game to have a sense of the game. It would be great hey, if they go on to play for their respective nations and you've been part of that journey. Brilliant. But I know that sport can do so much more than put trophies in your cabinets and medals around your neck. And that's where I'm like deeply so passionate about sport. The... um. You mentioned the physicality of the game 
And you, I bet you don't miss. Well, in a strange way, that, that very physicality, I think, is you get used to it. I bet that can be almost a drug, a sort of, a sort of yeah. getting to batter people. Um, but yeah. obviously you get battered um, legally. Mm. Uh, and, and there is something about, if it, it feels good to be at this sort of absolute far extent of your own physicality. But also yeah. the difficulty with sport is it has the highs of winning and the lows mm-hmm. of losing. We've known each other a while now, yeah. and I don't think until mm-hmm. getting to know you seeing and understanding when you lose a game that what that does it just crushes you you leave the stadium you go home and you're you're out of it for 24 hours aren't you yeah sports sport is it's a drug it is a drug for 14 years at 3 p.m or 2 59 i had an adrenaline shot go throughout my body as i sprinted out to the pitch for kickoff 13 years I was conditioned to that. That's the emotion I got every single week. And then the light switch turned off. And you just go cold turkey. You miss it, that buzz. And I was like searching for something to give me that that buzz, that buzz. Then I realized quite quickly that I'd never be able to replicate that buzz again. I might be able to replicate that buzz again, but it would feel nothing like what I'd had and it goes back to that comparison I was living in this new world trying to chase something that I used to have but actually what I needed to do was park it draw a line under it and chase a different sensation and feeling in the very thing that I'm doing now and it's being present rather than forever looking in your rear view mirror um the so physicality good. the knocks the highs the lows like the lows are oh, the lows are as low as the highs are high um but once again, I, I don't know, and I'm always really happy talking about the lows because that is life. And I think people look at professional sport and think, well, and they'd be right to say it's a great job, it's a passion, and it's all those things. But, oh, my word, I've been broken so many times through rugby. Um, and I always use the analogy, um, like I believe in heaven and hell. And... I've probably experienced heaven and hell on the rugby pitch, maybe even in the same half. Like yeah. it can, you run out, sing the national anthem in front of 80 or 1,000 people. You're singing God Saves the Queen whilst you're looking at your mother in the eyes. No better moment. Like, wow. But within minutes, mate, you want that pitch to swallow you up. Or at the end of the match, where do I go? You reassess your life, the character, the person you are. Don't want to see anyone. You're taking a battering physically, emotionally. That's, that is it. But you have to pick yourself up. Somehow you have to pick yourself up. Sometimes you don't want to and you rely on other people to do it. There'll be occasions where you feel like you just don't have the capacity to do it, the strength. Um, but... But yeah, you, you you kind of you have to find a way. You just you have to find a way, and I, I love talking about it because it's it's real. It's real. No one oh, you'd be misled, or I'd be misleading anyone to for them to think that I played rugby fourteen years and it was just all wicked. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it you know that's not the legacy which lives in my heart. 
the legacy that lives in my heart was what a time I had, the best of times. But the reality is littered within those best of times were some real dark moments. One thing I've always wondered about rugby, um, if you take boxing, the, 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 the ambition is to take the guy down, is to yeah. knock him out, is to, is to beat him to a pulp. Um, other sports, especially uh, team sports, it, they're very, if they have any contact, it's very closely controlled. Um, rugby sort of sits in the middle, doesn't it? And, it, and it, so as a team sport, it does stand alone because it is, I mean, there's other things, Australian rules and, and, and other team games like that. But because it's so physical, um, one thing I've always, always wondered, if, if you get hit by someone, say it's 10 minutes into the match, how do you put that out of your head? Because you, you <laughs> could go hunting for them for the rest of the game. But obviously that's not the aim of the game. The aim of the game is to score tries, is to score points. How, how do you let that go? How do you not boil over with anger? Everyone's different. I've, um, there's been times I've lost my head but on the pitch, but it's kind of not part of my DNA. It's not part of my character. Sometimes I've been rattled. Everyone can get rattled. Um, but so in the words of Michael <sighs> Jackson, you're a lover, not a fighter. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'd be there breaking up fights, but also <laughs> eight minutes is a long time in a rugby pitch to get your own back. And there's so many different ways you can do it. You know, you can just do it through just sheer skill. Yeah. Um, um, you can break opposition's hearts by making a try saving tackle the rest of it. But, it's mad because when people talk about the game, it's probably, it's known as a contact game. I think it's more a collision game now. And we wear these GPS monitors in the back of our shirts and it detects and measures how fast we run, how far we run, um, the way to the contacts that we're taking. And I remember I in training, yeah. So in training, one lad got tackled and it was the, I don't know how accurate it is, but we, um, it was the equivalent of being hit by an ice cream truck at 20 miles an hour. And yeah, surgeons now, they say a lot of the injuries that they now see on a rugby pitch are equivalent to what they see in car crashes. I mean, I've watched people dislocate their hips, shoulders. I mean, it's, it's had all sorts and this is not a scaremongering exercise. You know, I've had significant injuries in the game, but I had surgery so much uh, more. 2010. I mean, that was right in the middle of your career. So, or towards towards the end, but what did you, what did you, I don't actually know what you hurt. Man, I did awful groin reconstruct. I mean, that was, of all the injuries I've ever had, I mean, I pulled the tendon off the bone, which attached my pubis to my groin. And then I had a tear from my pubis. Yeah, and there are no points for guessing where your pubis is on your body. Um, it, that was without, like, I mean, it was the recovery. You don't realise how much you use your core until you hurt your core. And I guess that's a lot for life. Um, that much You don't realise how much until it's broken, damaged or whatever. And so if I coughed, sneezed, try to get up, go to the loo, anything, it... It just hurt. But I'm talking about high level rugby now where you've got a 19 stone man running into a 20 stone man as fast as they can. 
the game couldn't be safer at the moment. It really couldn't. Will injuries occur in a contact sport? Absolutely. But the care and attention that you get is absolutely world-class. And people watch it and they think, how do you get up? And like anything, your body gets conditioned very quickly to taking hits, recovering from them. It does. Your body's an unbelievable machine. And what you consistently do to your body, your body adapts to. So that's why oh, you you couldn't wait for off-season, four or five weeks off just to chill on a beach and no conditioning program, no weights, no fitness, no nothing. But then after five weeks of doing nothing, oh my gosh, having to resuscitate. Yeah. yeah, it took a while and your body took a pound in for the first couple of games. You felt every knock. And then game three, it was, you know, you're getting hit on, trampled on, whatever. And it was, it was like anything. It was absolutely like anything. And it's the same in the gym. If anyone goes to the gym, goes for a run, lifts weights, boxes, whatever it might be, there's such a good release of endorphins and the feeling you get at the end of a session when you're knackered. Yeah. You're knackered. If you've lifted weights and your legs are sore, your arms are sore, whatever it is, you almost search for that soreness because that soreness is actually where you get growth. Um, by being sore in the gym in a physical conditioning sense of the word is that you have worked hard. It's almost a barometer for how hard you've worked. So if you've worked hard, you're going to get growth. And you search that on the pitch. You know, if a lad on a muddy day ran off the pitch and he wasn't muddy, well, it's bleedingly obvious. <laughs> Didn't put it in, you know. So on a Sunday morning after a game and you were sore and you've won, you don't mind the soreness. It's fine. It's, it was worth it. It was worth it. But, I mean, there's a definite, there are so many parallels from sport into into life in general. And when, mm. and when you're talking about the sort of the tearing of your muscle to build muscle, the Bible is very honest about this, that, that suffering leads to greater strength, greater endurance, mm. ability to, and that there is, there's something in it that we shouldn't shy away from. I mean, this has been, we'll come on to the, the highs of this year for you, but there's been some lows for you this year, not least losing your dad. Um, yeah. And so you're a man that, that, that know, who knows what it is to suffer, not just, you know, in your muscles, but in your, in your heart, in your soul. Yeah, that, that was, that was really tough, really tough on so many different levels. Like losing a close one is, you know, that's, that's going to affect you, isn't it? Um, losing your dad, um, that, that was tough. And I remember having my dad's funeral and four hours after was, I was dancing. I was, doing Strictly Come Dance was the first show four hours after my dad's funeral because you're like trying to get on with things. That doesn't bear but, thinking about. How did you do yeah, that? I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I'm, st- I'm Honestly, I'm trying to work it out. I'm, I'm trying to work it out because I think I need to figure out how I did it. Um, I think how I've always dealt with things, which isn't the right way to deal with things by keeping busy, keep yourself occupied or preoccupied, take your yeah. mind off things. Because when you're the hamster on the wheel and you just keep going, the wheel just goes round, your legs keep spinning and everything's good. And sometimes you're scared of stopping because if you stop, 
and there's a peace and, and there's a sense of peace or quiet you don't know how it's going to affect you you don't know if you're just gonna be the hamster off the wheel but broken and so you just keep going you just keep moving um and that's not good because you actually need to confront and deal with things and not let things pile up because if you don't you're actually losing a sense of power over the thing which is affecting you. And it could be the smallest thing which triggers a reaction, which, um, yeah, which which can come at any point. But actually tackling things head on, I think is really important. So, you know, I mean, Strictly is the most consuming project I've ever done in my life. Most consuming. Um, and it was probably at a good time, but probably at a terrible time, you know, I'd break up with my my wife uh, at the same time I mean it was a lot yeah there's a lot going on so although I look back at 2021 and you know we're ending this year we're getting to the end of this year and, and I look back and I'm like oh, from a professional sense wow it's been a been some year but from a I guess a more deeper and meaningful perspective it's it's been a tough and challenging year but I think always, not always, but I try and hold on to the fact that when you do have setbacks and knockbacks in your life, it's really tough. But if you could almost this, if you could remove yourself from yourself and look down at yourself, you feel like you're preparing yourself for a sense of resilience mm-hmm. for what's to come. And I'm, I'm not trying to paint a picture of which is inaccurate that I forever do that. Every time I struggle, I look back and I think, oh my God, you go, you are preparing yourself for the <laughs> when you're feeling rubbish, you feel rubbish. Okay. But I do try and have a broader perspective and a global vision for what's to come. And if I can manage this. Um, if I can get through this, then yeah, I've deepened my roots in understanding who I am within my faith and knowing that I, I'm I'm probably a bit more fearless. Um, and and I'm ready to take on whatever's next. That's, that's, that's not my mindset right now, Mm. but it's the mindset I'm working towards. Do you remember years ago, I was invited in my sort of vicarness hmm. to um, speak at Eaton, Eaton School Chapel. And, uh, and I asked you to come along. And, and Pete Dobbs, who was a Chelsea hooligan back in the day and yeah. a very violent man. Um, and both of you shared what you believed about Jesus in that place. It's so funny because I've never felt more redundant I got up to speak and they're like, yeah, whatever. And then you two got up to speak and it was electric in the room. Um, and you were really honest with those guys. And of course they are hanging on your every word. You're so, um, I remember it then. And I, I, you know, it's definitely true from the interview we've just, you know, we're, we're enjoying now that you're very um, eloquent. So I can totally see how you've become a, you know, a celebrity uh, on, you, you're now, a captain on question of sport and doing all of these different podcasts and shows and presenting on uh, BBC sport and everything. But uh, so there's that aspect, but I, I think it's more than that. I think it is, there's a, there's just an honesty about you. 
There's an integrity about you. There's an authenticity about you. And in a world where, like we said earlier about sort of Instagram, it's so plastic, it's so fake, you are the real deal. Um, I, I do try and keep it real. Um, yeah, I do try and keep it real. And I should actually eradicate the try in it because I'm not actually trying to be anything. I'm just being me. Um, I think when you have when you're trying at something or trying to project something, it's perhaps not your full self. Where I just let it be. Um, not everyone will agree with it. Um, I'm not perfect. I've made a million one mistakes. We'll continue to do it. But I do have an awareness of the person that I am. Um, I trust myself. I back myself. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and I'm happy but did you to... did you back yourself going into Strictly? We've got to talk about this because, <laughs> uh, and you were kind enough to FaceTime me after <laughs> I was sitting. What you didn't wow. realise was I was sitting watching Strictly with two of my girls on Saturday night, and something had happened that we had to pause the 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 um the TV. We're watching it on iPlayer, and uh, so we're watching it twenty minutes behind, and then you FaceTimed me from backstage afterwards and and totally it was the ultimate spoiler because you introduced me to oh all gosh. these people on facetime and the, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the winners are right there we're like oh thanks mate but yeah. <laughs> it's like hey have a chat with rose she just won strictly there's one i didn't oh. realize at the time you <laughs> no it's so funny it was brilliant no but it was it was so, so amazing seeing and and seeing how everybody loves you but it looks like that's the vibe of that show everybody that the, 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 there's some it's quite singular in the sort of friendships that are formed because it's quite a competition, isn't it? It's over many weeks, but it's super intense. You're taking, no offense to you, but novice dancers. And I would imagine the training regime is really hard. Everyone's going through that same difficulty. It's the, the thrill and the fear of a live performance doing that in front of millions of people i can't imagine it, it ha- i don't know how you even were able to perform every saturday well i didn't did i so um <laughs> <laughs> tailed off in the middle um, <clears throat> I, I think there is an expectation when you do a show like that and it's a proper heritage show it's it, it's the biggest show on telly um, for me to come out with a glowing report and say everyone is fantastic and I just love everything about the show, but everyone was fantastic and I did love the show. I, I did, but once again, not without its difficulties. Mm. Um, I used to train, I'd say 20, 25 hours a week for an 80 minute performance at the weekend. That was how it correlated. I think we were doing between 40 and 50 hours a week for a 90 second performance on a Saturday. And people don't care if you were bad on Saturday for me to turn around and say, Oh no, no, no. But I worked really hard in the week. They don't care because it's all about 90 seconds. The 50 hours just gives you the right to take the dance floor. Um, they don't care how good you were on the Tuesday, on the Thursday, how brilliant your dress one went earlier that day. If you do not deliver at that point for those 90 seconds, that's what you'll be judged on. So the margins are so fine. And it is, it's really challenging, but it's quite a good pressure. 
to be under. Um, I remember one week I did the quick step and I just measured it all on my Apple watch that week. And we had danced 50 K 50 K. No, you're kidding me. No, Jim, you're kidding me. Second, yeah. For a 90 second <sighs> show performance. So it's, it's mad what you put in versus what the product is versus the scores you might get could be totally out of sync, but every week, go back in and put in the same effort, if not more effort the next week. And I didn't always get great scores. I only lasted five weeks on it. But every week I was determined to go back. And actually, I said it to Oti. Oti Mabuso was my pro dance partner. Um, and she was like, how, how are you? She's been on the show seven times, won it the last two years. And how are you feeling? I was like, yeah, I feel good. In fact the time where I felt calm was before and after the dance, right before, right after week two, uh, we're backstage waiting for our names to be called out to perform and your dance front of 10 plus million people. I was watching Chelsea against Liverpool on the telly and she was like, you go focus. And I was like, no, this is me actually focusing. Mm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just wanting to relax. Just wanting to relax. So having that synergy and understanding of how people are. And then after she had been, um, you know, de- depending on where we're on the leaderboard, she was like, how are you feeling? I said, this is the most relaxed I've been all day. She went, how do you mean? Like, we could be in a dance-off, we could be going home. And I said, I've done what's been expected of me. I've pushed and pushed and pushed all week. I've danced. Now it's out of my hands. If the public want to vote, they'll vote. And if they don't, then they won't. But I cannot worry about things that I can't control. So right now, I'm happy. The only thing I ever chased on a Saturday wasn't a high score from Shirley or Craig or Anton or Motsi. It was enjoyment because you have this privilege to get onto the dance floor. If I came off the dance floor having not enjoyed it, then what was the point? Yeah, what that's right. Was because at the, the end point? of the day, it's, it's BBC Entertainment. It's in the mm. name, you know, it's, and people want, are entertained if they see you having fun. Yeah, but I would rather get a lower score, but having loved it, yeah. loved it, than a high score, having come off going, oh, I di- didn't really enjoy that. But yeah. like, so I just said, OT, yeah, there's 10 million plus people at home watching it, but it's you and I. I'm not dancing for the judges. Um, I'm not dancing for the public at home. I am dancing for you and you are dancing for me. And that is it. The only things that matter on the dance was you and I and how we perform. So let's go out and just enjoy it. That was it. That was it. Of course, you're performing for the public and for the judges. But in those 90 seconds, it's you and I. That is it. Let's go out and enjoy it. And so every time I was like, did you enjoy that performance? She'd be like, yeah, I loved it. And I said, she'd ask me the same question. I said, I loved it. I said, of course, it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. Of course, there are consequences to whether you performed it well or not. And I got voted off and that's fine. But at least when I look back on the night I got voted off, I did a rumba. I loved it. I loved it. So do I have any negativity in my head? a legacy of, oh gosh, I didn't enjoy it. And then I got booted out and the public don't even like me because they didn't vote. No, I enjoyed the dance. I enjoyed the dance. Charlie Mackesy, um, he's a mutual friend of ours. Mm. And I actually saw him last summer. I was down in Suffolk, staying at the wilderness with my kids. And 
he came over to where we were staying one morning and my daughter Phoenix was drawing and um, who else was drawing? Oh, my mate's wife, Maggie, was also drawing and she's brilliant at drawing. And he said, are you any good? I said, no, I'm no good at drawing. He says, why do you think you're no good? I went, oh, well, look at hers. Like, that's really good. And he went, no, you just, you express yourself and you draw to your ability. And what you put down on a piece of paper, the way in which you view it, like it, shouldn't be based on Maggie's piece of paper. It should just be measured by you. It goes back to that kind of comparison thing. So I don't know, like we, we live in a subjective world, but sometimes we take it too far and everything really does become a comparison for your own happiness where, I don't know, maybe it doesn't make any sense, but... No, it does. I, what's what's it. fascinating is um, you've gone from the world of elite sport, which is all about performing to the highest level, um, and now you're doing stuff which is obviously you've been drawing. You're very good at what you do. Questions of question of sport, all the dif- different punditry and everything. Um, but you're able to sort of say, look, it's it's not what I've I trained for for years and years. And in some ways, it is. But especially doing strictly, you're you're way out of your comfort zone. But yeah. you're bringing a confidence to it that I think is very encouraging to all of us to to say, yeah why not give this a go or that a go, especially as we come to the end of this year, stepping into a new year, what could next year be? Let's have some confidence. Let's have some self-belief. I dare I say, I think there's a book in you, mate. I think, (laughs) you know, lessons learned from, from, from rugby to the, to the ballroom. It's um, because you have, I, I feel inspired talking to you. Appreciate it. But like for me on Strictly, I wanted to be as good as I could be. And by being as good as I could be, did it mean that I I could potentially be the best in the show? I just wanted to be as good as I could be. And I was willing to work as hard as I could work to be that person. That's it. You know, I've retired six years, I've retired six years ago now. And, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm fortunate with the work that I'm doing, but I only want to do things that I enjoy with people that I like. That is it. I've had a number of job opportunities and it was either something I wasn't passionate about or people that I didn't like or share the same values. Not interested, not interested in the slightest, but if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I promise you, you'll get the best version of me. Fact, fact. And if I'm working with good people, it'll be even better. So that's all I chase now. And do you know what? If I just had to get my head down and do a job because I had to get my head down and do a job. And, you know, my first job was working on a refuse site. And then I worked as a waiter um, in schools. I did pot wash. I worked as a waiter at Twickenham Stadium doing civil service in Corporate. But I, I did anything and everything I could just to get money. Brilliant. And I won't ever forget that. And I'm really proud of it. Um, but now I guess I'm in a better position where I can pick and choose a little bit more. But, and there might be some day where I'm just like, oh, I just need to do anything to pay the bills. I hope yeah. not, but <laughs> I do, I do. I just want to seek projects which I'm really passionate about. But also understanding that, you know, the various roles that I have, they're good and they're fun. And, you know, in the eyes of some people, it is great. But 
I can't forget the position which I hold to be able to talk about things that matter the most to me. Fantastic job, like heritage job, been going 51 years. And it's a real generational job, like granddad, grandma, mum, dad, brothers, sisters, friends, have all at some point in their life come into the collision course with it. But, you know, that, that brings opportunities, but also opportunities to really champion things which really matter. Like question sport really matters, but doesn't matter as much as some of the changes we're seeing in society and life. So I want to use those platforms to talk about that. I'll never ram it down anyone's throat, but when asked an opinion about something, I will use it. I, I will answer the question, offer up my opinion. So that's kind of where I see leveraging positions, which I, I'm occupying. Total delight talking to you today on this 23rd of December, but Christmas Day podcast. Yes. Um, before we close, three Christmas questions for you. Okay, you ready? Oof, you did it. Well, we haven't know. talked about this, so we, this could go anywhere. Favourite Christmas <laughs> song? Can be a carol, can be Oof. a popular song. Um, oh my gosh. Automatically think of a couple of people, Mariah Carey. I knew you, I knew you were going to go Mariah Carey. I just knew it. But, okay. Oh. But I do remember singing Christmas, um, singing Silent Night in a local church, age 14 at school. And that was cool. I think we sang in German as well. So I'm going to say Silent Night. Oh, nice. I was, re- I was singing some carols <laughs> last night at a church service I was doing and oh, the lyrics lovely. just hit me between the eyes on the beautiful lyrics. Anyone listening to this, just go away and read, read the Christmas carols as poetry and um, you'll be blown away. Some deep yeah. theology in that stuff. Okay, favourite Christmas tipple? going to say later on into the day, a port, a good port is quite nice, Ooh. I think. Mm, yeah. What's yours? I uh, I like uh, I like a, an old fashioned cocktail. Oh, oh yeah. I had one. I went out for dinner Monday night. Wow, like it's a it's a great drink. It's punchy, it but it's punchy. A let's let's do it. Drink. Let's do it soon. Let's do it soon. Okay, yes. ready? Third and final question before we say goodbye. Best Christmas present you ever got? <sighs> do you know what? I reckon it could be this year. Oh. Um, I'd like a negative PCR test. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> Hugo, thank you so much for joining me for this. It's been great. Merry Christmas to you and all your family. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and your family too. Great to chat. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. You've been listening to the Faith with Haith podcast. Christmas Day. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Go and hug someone, give them a kiss, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. Much love.